Uh, it's been a good day, a busy day. I, I spent a lot of time preparing today's message for our listeners as well as Friday. Uh, I'm by myself today, but Friday, Carol Sue will be back as we talk about uh, the role of the wife and the mother. And I've gotten a lot of work done today, so that's good. <laughs> You've taught these lessons, uh, I think, so many times. So to hear that you are preparing for us this evening is, is awesome. So we know that we're not receiving old principles, but they are fresh, as fresh as today. Yes, and, uh, and every time we, uh, there are new perspectives and a new focus. And oftentimes we speak about the role of the husband, but uh, we wanted to include today the, the role of the father as well. And, and for Friday, the role of the wife and the mother. And uh, so I'm excited. I'm looking forward to our time together again. Amen. Me too. Me too. But guys, before we can be able to start, some of you who may not know what we are talking about today, we are discussing the role of a father and a husband. And uh, some of you may be asking the question, what does that have to do with me? Now, here you're either a wife-to-be or a wife, you're either a husband-to-be or a husband. If you're none of those, at least you have friends uh, who will need help uh, trying to trying to understand these things. The reason tonight's topic is very important to me personally is most of you may know, most of you may not know, but like most Ugandan boys, I lost my father when I was, uh, I think, 10 years old. Right now, I have an eight-year-old, and um, she keeps reminding me of that. She thinks I will also disappear when she turns 10 because she knows that history. But that's when I lost my father. I was raised by a single mother, and let's fast forward this movie and go all the way to a 20, I think I was 24, a 24-year-old who has looked at a lady and uh, they want to get married. So we get married and uh, this is about 11 years ago. And here I am stuck in this house with this beautiful lady and I'm supposed to somehow figure out how to be a husband and a father. And I never saw one because he was missing. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to do that? Now, most of us may have our fathers, but again, we are looking and we are wondering how are we supposed to do that? Now, to make matters worse, it's, uh, we are Christians who are supposed to do this biblically. But again, it's important to know that the Lord's Prayer starts, Our Heavenly Father, Our Heavenly Father. And if a child has not seen an earthly father, how is he supposed to know that there's a heavenly father. That's how important tonight's topic is for each one, each one of us tonight. But I have a friend who I shared this with. He could not be with us on the show, um, but he's a very good friend. And uh, most of you here who are part of a cell, think of him as a cell leader. This is a cell that I was a part of since I think I was in high school until today. We had to move from Tinder well, uh, I, I, I literally kind of grew up, if I can say, um, and leave that community and had to move uh, with my wife to these ends where we live. I won't tell you where. But I left the church where I was going, which is Agave Baptist Church. But I can promise you, I never left. I never left the cell. This is how important this cell group has been to me. But I asked him to contribute to tonight's show. His name is Tom, Mr. Tom Odongo. He's an engineer. Um, I love his family. I mean, he has a model uh, family and uh, his wife, they love each other so much. We attend the cell every Thursday. In fact, it's coming up tomorrow. 
and it's always interesting to see this couple just be able to love each other, respect each other. And I asked him this question, and I want you guys to listen to his answer. And I asked him, how would you help a young man or a man who is afraid to love his wife sacrificially? Because he thinks this lady is going to take advantage of me if I love her sacrificially. And this was his answer. Listen to it. Uh, the question, how would you advise someone that is afraid their wife will take advantage of them if they love sacrificially, is an interesting one because if one has to love sacrificially, it already means there is a problem. And so if the person is afraid of uh, tackling the problem, he has no option. He has to actually love sacrificially if there is a problem and he wants to carry on with the, with the marriage. On the other hand, one should not anticipate that there will be a need for them to love sacrificially. But when you listen to the vows that they make at their weddings, in regard to wealth, in regard to health and other circumstances, then one is expected to love sacrificially. On the other hand, I think that uh, a marriage relationship should not go into a situation where that is necessary. One will say, well, it's going to happen anyway. It's um, a negative way of thinking, but if it does happen, uh, one has got the recourse to forgiveness, reconciliation, and issues like that. And so having listened to his answer this evening, I, I, I laughed. Why? Because it's not what I expected. Um, because Ephesians 5, and I'm going to ask Dave to contribute to this particular question, uh, but Ephesians 5.25 does make that very clear. Say, husbands, love your wives. And so just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we may say that verse really quickly and miss the point that uh, this is how Christ loved the church, literally by giving himself up for her. And I thought he had missed the question. So I repeated the question for him. And uh, I went ahead and mentioned uh, Ephesians 5. Uh, this guy, I mean, it's always amazing his perspective of things. And this was his answer when I told him about what I really meant. I was really trying to get to him commenting towards Ephesians 5.25. And this is what he thought. Ephesians 5.25 is uh, a comparison. Uh, well, really, I should say, I shouldn't say comparison because we really cannot compare with the sacrifice that Christ made for us, for his church, by dying on the cross. Now, let me put it this way. If Christ did not want to do that sacrifice, to go through that sacrifice for the church, he would not have started it. And so, to put it also in regard to marriages, if you're not ready to go through thick and thin in your marriage, then you shouldn't get married. And as I said, we can't really compare what Christ did for us 
with what we can do for our spouses. And there you go, gentlemen who are single, <laughs> the price has to be paid. The price has to be paid. And how are we going to do this as husbands? Now, I know that uh, there is so much we're going to be looking at this evening uh, with Dave. But ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you guys to let me, let's contribute to this discussion. And uh, as the music plays, as you enjoy this song, and then after which I'm going to ask Dave to just give us his view on that particular question. How do you help a young man that is afraid to play his part because he thinks I'm going to be taken advantage of? And usually it happens. Usually it's a fear that women sometimes uh, have. And Dave is going to contribute to that particular question just before we get into our uh, portion for tonight. But as, as the music is playing, can you just list for me in the comments below, list for me what comes to you if I were to ask, list for me characteristics of a husband. I mean, the role of a husband. What comes to your mind? What's the role of a father? What's the role of a husband? In one or two words, just list that down for me in the comments. What's the role of a husband? What's the role of a father? Please just contribute those because I know you guys know these things. He is supposed to be a hero or a protector. And uh, I love what Shaka is saying here, to be a provider, to be a provider. And uh, well, JJ, thank you. To love, to lead and protect. To love, to lead and to protect. Sounds like the motto for the police. Love and protect, not love and serve and protect, serve and protect, serve and protect. But thank you so much, JJ. And then Shaka, <laughs> what JJ said. Anyway. Misty, thank you. Love, leadership, protection, provision, and guidance. That's our understanding of a husband, our understanding of a father. But Dave, I'd like to hear from you tonight, um, especially with that disturbing question of uh, a husband. I, I'm really, what came to my mind when you talked about the role of a husband, for me, I've, I've, my mind simply biasly erases towards Ephesians. Now, it may be more than that. I know it is more than that. But that's where my mind rests first. And the question that came to me was that. How do you help a young man that is afraid to be taken advantage of? The, the reason I'm mentioning this, Dave, is there's also another meme I saw. <laughs> a funny one. Uh, one of someone, someone's WhatsApp status. And uh, they, someone posted and said, I, 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 I miss the days when the women would wake up in the morning and uh, go to the garden and prepare food and and cook for their husbands and then below that comment another a, a lady posted and said i missed the days when men went to war and died there <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> wow but there's, there's always there's always been a conflict between the role of a husband and the, and the and the wife and people switching roles and conflicts beginning there. But what, what what's your take on that, Mr. Dave? Okay, there there is so much here, and certainly some of this we'll talk about in our study in a few minutes. But uh, yes, that that role conflict uh, began all the way back in Genesis chapter three, uh, and Satan provoked that that conflict in the roles when he talked to Satan, it did not take on Adam. When, he, when Satan talked to Eve, 
Uh, he was already subverting the roles between husband and wife. But David, I agree with you. I, I do believe that for us as New Testament believers, uh, both with the background of Genesis, but in, in its fulfillment in Christ in Ephesians chapter 5, we do get the full description of, of what God calls godly men to do, and that is to look like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to lead like Jesus. And I, I love some of the comments that uh, some of your listeners, our listeners have put there. I, I love the, the idea of the husband, father being a hero uh, but especially those who said love, lead, protect, provide, and guide is really a summary of what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Now, I agree with Tom, uh, your friend, when he says that there is no comparison. We cannot achieve that, and certainly not at the beginning of our marriage. So I think this young man who is concerned needs to understand that just like everything else in life, we grow in this role. Um, I've been married for 38 years. You've been married for 11 years. Uh, and we are both learning every day more and more what a Christ-centered marriage looks like. And the answer to that is more of Christ and less of me. A godly man is slowly being weaned from his selfishness to an others-centered life. There is no comparison. We cannot make the sacrifice that Jesus made. Now, when he is worried that his wife will take advantage, he's probably revealing more about his own selfishness than he is about his wife's control. Uh, because as Tom also said, I think I understood what he meant, that when he says that this is not a sacrifice, uh, I believe that for Jesus, like Hebrews 12 tells us, that Jesus despised the shame of the cross, his sacrifice, for the joy that was set before him. And so the joy of living your life to live, love, and look like Jesus is such a great joy that we could in some small way be like him in our home, that that joy overshadows any possibility of, of sacrifice. And in a true biblical marriage, and I think also Tom was referring to that idea uh, in a true biblical marriage, the husband will be others-centered like Christ, and the wife will be others-centered, will be Christ-centered, uh, just as Ephesians 5 talks about. The husband is like Christ, and the wife is like the church, and the church has great joy in serving her husband. So maybe another little way of putting that is perfect love casts out fear. So the fear that a young man would have, I can never fulfill this role. As he learns to love like Jesus loved, that fear will go away as he finds the joy of serving his wife. Amen. This is not something we can do in a day. It is something we grow towards. I love, I love when you go back to Genesis and just show us that that was the devil's tactic to divide the husband and the wife. Yes. And I think he, he, he succeeded. <laughs> he succeeded. Um, I yes. mean, you see that also in the way Adam responds, the woman you gave me, and it's, it just becomes horrible all the way through until today. But I think I should have prepared you for the second question. But then part of me also is thinking, okay. I mean, 38 years, 
you should you, you, you should know <laughs> you should know the answer. okay <laughs> but this is a um, directions <laughs> different directions same topic um how would you advise a young man now i'm talking about me right now who has grown up not seeing a father um you've not seen a picture of a father you you it's just not been there and then there could be listeners here who may also be thinking okay my father was around i saw him and if that's the picture of how husbands look like i do not want one maybe they were alcoholic abusive or something and they just never painted a good picture of a husband i mean i've, I've had cases of teenagers uh, choosing to have a different uh, style of life altogether because they just do not husbands in their lives have failed have failed they've grown up in abusive relationships they've seen it happen they've seen their mothers beaten and it's been a very ugly picture can, can that be reconciled is it a counseling issue case by case but how would you help someone who has seen a very ugly picture of a husband ugly picture of a father but also another young man who has just not seen one in their whole life. How would you help them? In, in a few words. Okay. In a few words. I know there's so much to be covered. Okay, today, but, David, uh, that's a that's a great question. And my story is similar to yours. Although my father was around and he was a very hard worker and a provider, he was also an alcoholic. And and I saw horrible things take place in my home. But here here is the question, and this is God's grace. By God's grace, he used those experiences, as I shared on our program on, on Monday, uh, to turn my heart to the only true loving father that we have. And so uh, no human father will be a perfect image of our heavenly father. So this young man needs to immerse himself in God's word and understand that while his family of origin was part of God's sovereign plan for his life, he has a choice. Uh, I shared about Genesis 50, 20. Joseph came from a horrible family situation, but he understood stood that what others had purposed for evil in his life, God could use for good. And, and in my life, for example, this caused me to look for a mentor to look for godly husbands and fathers that I could model. I desperately wanted to have a Christian home. And that led me all the way from the United States to Brazil to spend eight weeks with Dave Cox, my father-in-law, with his wife, just studying and following. I, I so much wanted to have a Christian home. So if you didn't have one, like I did not, and you lost your father when you were 10 or 11 years of age, there are, there are not many, but there are some. And we need to do everything we can to, to, to look for mentors, for godly men. And, and we have those resources available today. We need to study the fatherhood of God in the scriptures. No human father can possibly be the right model for us. We, we get that from the fatherhood of God. Ephesians chapters 2 and 3 uh, talk about that. So uh, that would be my brief answer to that question. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to this. I'm loving this. And uh, Gracia says, a good dad makes you feel safe enough to dream, secure enough to live without fear or rejection. Of rejection, just knowing 
he's on your side you feel like you can change the world salvation and internal security give me hope and peace and ability to face tomorrow and frank says same here same here same here awesome awesome a godly husband is one who seeks to lead and love his family thank you so much for that frank just as christ would have done even when he might not be perfect at those uh but at least there should be uh, the great desire to love and lead his family as if it's Jesus Christ himself leading and loving. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for your contribution. Now, let me remind you that as Dave is speaking to us this evening, please go ahead and ask questions in the chat. You don't even have to wait for him to finish. Dave, you're welcome. Okay. Thank you so much. And once again, it is an amazing privilege uh, to be able to minister to you from my living room in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and uh, to be able to be in, in your country and perhaps several countries as we had represented on Monday. The question I'd like to ask as we begin is, who will break the chain of ungodly, unbiblical manhood? We are surrounded by models that are anti-Christian models. What does it mean to be a man? Everything that we see, whether it be on uh, special programs, Netflix shows, whatever your form of entertainment might be, uh, billboards, outdoors, whatever, we see definitions of manhood that are at odds with what the Word of God teaches. Men are taught to pursue success, at any price, to climb a corporate ladder, to step on others, to have whatever advantage they can have. Men are taught to go to the, the gym and to create muscles upon muscles and to in, encounter and, and um, defend their own rights and their own justice. Manhood for some is just making a lot of money and having a life of leisure. And for others, being a, a, a real man is being able to, to drink and drink and drink and, and hold your beer and alcohol, other liquor well. And for others, it's just simply a new conquest every weekend. And, and so men report to work on Monday sharing about the women that they have taken to bed with them. All of those ideas, all of those concepts of what it means to be a man are at odds with what God's word teaches. All of them have one thing in common, and that would be selfishness. Since Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent raised its head, injected the venom of sin into the veins of the human race, there has been a war between the sexes, confusion about our roles, and inversion of God's hierarchy for men, for women, for our roles in the home, in the community, in the church. Now, I know that we have a number of, of single listeners. I know we have uh, many women who are tuning in as well. Just to answer the question, what might this study have to do uh, with different groups? First, for single men, it's obvious that we have in the scriptures a job description as well as a goal 
for the development of Christ-like masculinity. So our study can serve not to discourage, but to, but to hold out an ideal. Obviously, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But he who wants to live his life through us can transform an otherwise selfish, egotistical, self-defensive, and self-protective individual man into a kind, loving, strong protector, defender, a true hero, if God would have it for him to be married. Single women should not look at this study as a shopping list, but an idea of, of the kind of individual that she should have in mind who will be able to lead her family. Not a perfect man by any means, but someone who is growing, and, and perhaps more even than that, someone who desires to look like Jesus in his future home and is doing what he can to be that kind of man. Man, husbands and fathers, this is not to be a guilt list, but perhaps more like a wish list, a focus on where God would still sculpt the character and the image of Christ in us. For wives and mothers, uh, I don't know if you have this expression, but it's not a honey-do list, honey-do this, honey-do that, but it's a focus for prayer for your husband, for the father of your children, an area where you can be an encouragement so that he would be the kind of man that God has called him to be. And certainly for us who are parents, when we look at biblical manhood, God's perspective on masculinity, this will form the way we shape our young men. And obviously, Friday, when we talk about women, the same by the same token. So I want to answer the question, what does it mean to be a man? And the summary answer would be, biblical manhood means that men look like Jesus. And we have a, a great verse in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible handy or you can access it on your phone or wherever you're, you're listening Ephesians chapter 4, in the context of spiritual gifts, we read this verse, 4.13. God gave gifted men to the church, how long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And now listen to what he says. Of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When Paul describes Christian maturity, he puts it in the context of masculinity being a real man. But kind of through the back door, he winds up three times describing what that maturity means when he says it's the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here's something I want the list, our listeners to, to think about. God has called men to be loving leaders of their homes. Real men look like Jesus, love like Jesus, lead like Jesus, and live like Jesus. When we think about those areas, we can summarize all of them in the word love. When the Apostle Paul in Colossians and Ephesians gives his commands to men, to be real men, the word that he uses is the word love. And we have all sorts of definitions of love and what love might look 
like, but 1 Corinthians 13 is the clearest one. And it's been helpful for me, although extremely convicting. In the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, which describes everything that the Corinthians were not because they were the height of selfishness, which is the opposite of biblical manhood. And Paul defines love. Many of you will remember this passage. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. But I'm going to make a paraphrase of that passage because this will help us contextualize as men what God is asking us to do when he says, husbands, love your wives. This is the other-centeredness of Christ in us. So I'm going to substitute the husband, every time that the word love appears in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Are you ready? The husband is patient and kind. The husband does not envy or boast. The husband is not arrogant or rude. A husband does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. The husband does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The husband bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. The husband endures all things. When we define biblical manhood as the other-centeredness of Christ, and we understand that these are the characteristics of love, a lot of the other questions and concerns, well, what if she takes advantage of me? What, how much am I going to have to sacrifice? Simply fall to the ground. Now, if we look at biblically the history of our failure in all of this, we have to go back to Genesis once again, as we've already talked about, and we need to compare the first and the last Adams. Adam, the first, failed in his role of being a loving leader and protector of Eve in the garden. Well, Pastor Dave, how did that happen? First, he failed to shepherd his wife. He was not the true pastor of his wife because he was given God's word in Genesis chapter 2. Eve had not even been created. He was responsible for teaching her God's word. But when the enemy whispers in Eve's ear and challenges her, when he subverts male leadership and female submission, when he causes the woman to no longer be an encourager and a helper suitable for the husband, but to go ahead of him and take the lead. And when she quotes back to Satan, God's word, she makes three grave errors and he does nothing. He failed to teach her God's word accurately. He failed to correct her when she quoted God's word in, in error. And when God talks to the man in Genesis 3, 17, he doesn't say, no, you're going to be disciplined because you ate what I told you not to eat. The first thing he says to the man is because you listen to the voice of your wife, not that listening to our wife's voice is a sin, but the idea is he abandoned his role of loving leader, protector, and shepherd of his wife. Worse still, Adam, when called to the front by God, not Eve, but Adam as the leader of that home. And when God questioned him, giving them a wonderful opportunity for repentance 
instead of repenting and acknowledging his failure as a husband, as a father, as a leader, as a protector, what does he do but, but point his finger in Eve's face and blames her for everything? From that moment on, we experience the venom of sin that is running through our veins, causing us to be selfish, self-protectors, accusers. When Adam did that, he looked more like the devil than he looked like God. His finger and Eve's nose is exactly what Satan is doing day and night before the throne of God, accusing us, even though Jesus has already shed his blood for us. So we could summarize saying that true men are willing, different than Adam and much like the last Adam, Jesus, not only to die for our wife and family, but to live for them as well. And that's the real challenge. Because if someone were to burst into my house right now, and we have this kind of thing happening here in Brazil, and probably you do as well in Uganda and Rwanda and Nigeria and so many other places. But if someone burst into our house and tried to kidnap my wife and pointed a machine gun in her direction, I'm pretty confident that I would be the first one to jump in front and protect my wife. Because it's not that hard to die for someone in a moment of time. Now, you know what's really hard? What's really hard is to replace the toilet paper when the roll is finished in the bathroom. What's really hard is to, when there's just a few drops left of juice in the pitcher in the kitchen to replace it and make more, or to put another water pitcher into the refrigerator. What's hard is when I see some task around the house, maybe just sweep up some, some dirt that's in the kitchen floor. It's a lot easier to just let her do that. Living for our wives like Christ lives for the church is a much bigger task. So I would say this, for the married men, and as a job description for those who will someday be married, how you love your wife and your family is the single most important thing that you will do as a man. To love your wife and love your children are your first two spheres of ministry in this world. And we see that all the way back to Genesis chapter two. Now what I'd like to do, and I have, I'm recording our time here, I think we have 15, 16 minutes, but I, I'd like to imagine each man in our audience as being a block of concrete or marble. The Holy Spirit has the job of sculpting the image of Christ in our lives. He holds up the hammer, which is his word. Jeremiah tells us that the word of God is like a hammer that smashes the rock. And he uses a chisel. Chisels called a wife, children, pastors, friends, multitude of counselors, who help us to see those areas in the marble, marble of our lives, the granite of our lives that don't look like Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to transform every man in this audience and every woman as well into the image of the other's centered life of Christ. 
I'm going to share five characteristics which come right out of the scriptures. I'm going to do them quickly. And like I did on Monday, I am going to give to David the, the PowerPoint presentation and a PDF file. And, and those who request that can get that. Five characteristics of men who look, love, lead, and live like Jesus. Number one, biblical love means establishing a foundation of joy in the home. Now, that might sound very odd to you, but there's a fascinating verse in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 5. This verse in the context of Israel, and it's actually written in the context of situations of divorce and remarriage, and it's how God wants us to establish a foundation so that that will never happen in our home. Here's what the verse says. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife. Some versions say to promote the happiness of his wife whom he has taken. Now, every woman in the audience would say amen to that. This passage is not saying he's no longer going to go out and work in the fields. He's not going to go to the factory. He's not going to, no, he will do his normal work, his normal jobs. But God gives such a priority to the husband-wife relationship as a reflection of God's glory, of the unity and diversity of the Trinity itself, that he wants them to focus that first year, not taking on added responsibilities, not falling into a lifestyle of legalism and activism and, and never stopping and never developing a foundation in their home. Biblical love requires that sacrifice. When it's truly love, it probably won't be a sacrifice, but to establish a habit, a pattern. Someone has said this, a sad wife is the greatest shame for her husband. Men, our job is to promote the welfare, protection, and joy of our wives. Now, I know that there are circumstances beyond our control. When she has lost her father or her mother or a sibling after a miscarriage, or perhaps because of sterility, or even hormonal changes, or once a month, she may go through periods of difficulty. And we are not responsible for that, but part of our job description is to love our wives in such a way that joy becomes a foundation of our home. One of the reasons why this passage was written in such a way is because of the patriarchal culture in Israel, which we have in many of our countries today as well, although some cultures are matriarchal. But in those patriarchal cultures, the woman will be leaving all that she knows and she loves to join the husband's family. And so he must work double time to make up for those tremendous losses. Now, I'm going to give some tests to our listeners. Those who are married and those men who are listening who can establish this as a goal in their lives, not for the wives to be elbowing their husbands or to use as a shopping list, but as a focus of prayer. Men, are you promoting your wife's joy? Do you make plans for this? 
Are you willing to sacrifice your own happiness in exchange for your wife's as a habit for the rest of your life? Are you willing to sacrifice the right, and I put that in quotation marks, to be served in order to serve? Jesus did that for the joy that was set before him. And certainly when we love that way and establish that foundation, especially for our listeners who are looking ahead to that day, this is wise counsel for the first year of marriage. And it's a habit for the rest of our marriages. Number two, the second chisel as the Holy Spirit tries to make us into the image of Christ says this, biblical love means shepherding the family pastoring the family. The idea of the word pastor is one who leads the flock to pastures. We use the word shepherding in English, but Ephesians chapter 5 puts it this way. Husbands, love your wives, and now he's going to describe that, as Christ loved the church. That's the standard. Impossible to reach, but what Christ wants to do in and through us and gave himself up for us. Now notice the next phrase. So that he might sanctify her, purify her, spiritually grow her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I would have expected here with his blood, but the passage is pointing out the role that a Christian husband and father has as the pastor of his family, the shepherd leader of his family. He does this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Wives, women can identify with this because they're so concerned at taking out wrinkles and blemishes and spots as age begins to take over beauty. But what the passage is saying is that as husbands, we should be removing spiritual wrinkles from the lives of our wives. First Corinthians actually tells women to ask their husbands spiritual questions at home. If there is anything they desire to learn, 1 Corinthians 14, 35, let them ask their husbands at home to avoid confusion and, and a, a kind of debate questioning in the church of the prophets and leaders, Paul tells the women, no, your husband is your shepherd. Your husband is your leader. In, unfortunately, many, many husbands have abandoned their role of shepherding their own families, their children, and they're sending these their wives to pastors. And we have so much adult, uh, uh, um, adultery in our churches, even affecting pastors and members. Well, the pastors are not supposed to be counseling young women on their own without their wives. Their husbands are supposed to be doing that. So the husband, if he doesn't know, should go to the pastor. Fathers are called to do this with their children. Ephesians 6 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up or nurture them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God calls men to spiritual leadership of their homes. We can see this from the beginning of a dating or courtship relationship. Men taking the leadership in prayer, in Bible study. One of the best ways for young single people to get to know if that potential candidate for marriage is a good one or not is serving, ministering together. Ministry demands an other-centeredness. And if he can't do that or she won't do that, you should look elsewhere. So here's some tests. 
Men, do we help our wives and children find time to be alone with God, what we would call a quiet time? A mother with young children needs help in order to have time with the Lord. As a man, do I share with my girlfriend, with my wife, with my family, the things that God is doing in my life, what so many wives deeply desire is that her husband would share from the heart the things that God is doing that feeds the soul of our wives. Do I lead as often as possible with devotional time with my wife and family? Do I pray with my wife and my children? A shepherd also disciplines. Am I involved in confronting and disciplining sin in the lives of my children? There's a third area where the divine chisel comes down on us men in Ephesians chapter 5. And some of our listeners have even shared this. Biblical love not only means establishing a foundation of joy, shepherding the family, but it also means protecting one's wife. When we come back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 through 30, this is what we read. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, now he quotes Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, defines the role of the husband and father as a role of protecting in the same way that we protect ourselves. What Adam, the first Adam, did not do by exposing his wife to an immediate death before the gaze of a holy God who said that they would die when they sinned. We are called to protect our wives as Jesus, the bridegroom, on the cross of Calvary, protected his wife. I want to share another quote here. It is a tragedy when the one who should most protect his wife and family is the very one who abuses her or them verbally, physically, emotionally, and yes, sexually. God has called men to be knights in shining armor. We are the champions of our families. We need to be heroes in every sense of the word. And so when the one that God has called to be the protector of his loved ones is the very one who abuses them, who denounces them verbally, emotionally, even physically, and men who demand of their wives sexual practices which are disgusting to the wife. He is not loving his wife as Jesus loved the church. He is not protecting her. Biblical love requires the husband's leadership and presence in the home. We have been called to be present leaders in our homes.
First Peter 3, 7 has so much, and maybe some other time we can talk about that passage, but it says this, likewise, husbands, live with your wives. It's one word in the original text, which talks about cohabiting, not just marking your presence, pretending that you're there, but effectively present in the home, leaving your work at work and being a husband and father when you're home. Live with your wives in an understanding way. To understand a wife requires a lot of time together. Um, David shared the other night about sofa time, a daily practice, a habit of 10, 15 minutes when the couple just gets on the same page together without any interference from the children so that we would know one another. It also says showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you, we're going to spend all of eternity together of the grace of life. And if you don't do that, the passage says, if you do not exercise a loving, present leadership, God will not hear your prayers so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is serious before God. If you do not treat with honor the precious vase, vessel that God has put along your side for the rest of your life, why should God grant your requests? If one of my sons-in-law comes asking to borrow $1,000 to buy something, and I know that he's mistreating my precious princess daughter, there's no way he's getting anything. He's not going to get anything anyway, but he's not going to get it then. So some questions we need to answer. When I am home, am I truly at home? When I am away from home because of ministry or, or military service or my work, is my heart at home? Do I call? Do I send text messages, WhatsApp messages, Skype messages? Am I aware of and responsible for what happens in the life of each of my family members? I am the shepherd. I am the protector. I am their hero. I am their champion. I must know what's happening happening in the life of my family. The last one, and our time is up. Biblical love means treating one's wife with honor. The verse we just read says that, showing honor to the woman. Proverbs 31, which describes an excellent, virtuous woman, says her children rise up and call her blessed. Why? Because the dad does the same thing. Her husband also, and he praises her. He says this, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. We as men are to speak well of our wives publicly and privately. We should recognize her sacrifices for our family. We should encourage our children to honor their mother, not just on Mother's Day. And sometimes we even have to protect our wife from our own children, and I've had to do that when they've made her cry for whatever reason, and I need to be her defender. How you love your wife and family is the most important thing you will do as a man. But here's the good news. We can't do this in our own strength. But in Christ, the husband can be the Adam that Adam never was, a servant leader of his family.
That would be my desire for my life. It's why I came all the way to Brazil to find a model. It's why I read everything I could get my hands on. It's why I studied biblical manhood in the scriptures. And that's my desire, not only for the single men here, but for the married and for the women to pray and encourage their husbands in that way. David, I've gone one minute over our time. I'm really sorry, but I'm back to you. Well, I wasn't watching the clock anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, as we're going through these principles, my heart was racing um, and, and just thinking about our marriage and thinking about what's going on, uh, not just in Uganda, but across the world with this year, 2020. And the question I want to ask is, is going to be a long one. Um, because I'm thinking every man, not every man, but most of the men, Christian men, want to, they want to emulate Christ. They want to love sacrificially. They want to be patient. Um, like we are reading and talking about through the love chapter in First Corinthians. They want to be kind. They don't want to envy. They don't want to boast. But when, when Adam sinned, and, uh, and and Eve, God comes to Adam and says, because you have listened to your wife, cast is the ground. <laughs> and, and the question sometimes I have is, what did the ground have to do with it? <laughs> but the answer to that is, from that time onwards, man begins to sweat for, for food. He, he, he wants to be provider, like we were mentioning earlier on, the role of a husband is a provider, a protector. He wants wants to provide for his family. He doesn't want to be envious, but he watches and sees other men providing better than he is providing. And we've had lots of men, I don't want to say neglect their role as a husband, but in a way, give it less time to emphasize this one role to provide. And so they will spend a lot of hours at work trying to provide. And I, I'm sorry to say this, but sometimes trying to provide for the needs that are being pressured and are coming from the family, both children and wife. And at that point, they're at a point where there's a huge conflict between the man who is worse than an unbeliever, one that cannot provide for his family, and one who wants to be available, but it's at the cost of the very needs that the family has. And I know even in Brazil, because I think Brazil is a tropical, um, it's it's uh, the level of poverty. I mean, it is high. I mean, people live at less than a dollar a day, and anything worse than that is really painful. And so, I don't know how would you help a man here who is conflicted between providing for his home and yet knowing for him to be able to do that at least with the skills he has or the job that he has, it would require that he's not present as much as he would have loved to. David. Okay, uh, yeah, David, that's a that is such a a, a hard balance to achieve, uh, and yes, we have the same problem here in Brazil where uh, men leave the house at five in the morning and get back at eight o'clock in the evening and barely see their children to kiss them goodnight, uh, and and they are honorable men. They are sacrificing themselves to provide for their families. But there's also the other side, and, and I do think that uh, one of the Psalms, Psalm 127, talks about that balance. Uh, Psalm 127 
says that there is an element of trust in God's provision. That even affects how many children we have and whether we'll, we'll accept the promotion that will take us out of the home. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So you can, you can spend all your, your waking hours trying to come up with the money to build a house, but you don't build a home and, and you, don't, you can't go too far in either one direction. Uh, he's, it says, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. The, the passage literally says the idea of being the last to leave the factory, the last to close the door every single night, late at night. You eat the bread of anxious toil. And it says then, because God gives his beloved sleep. So there is an element of trust, not laziness. Second Thessalonians 3 says, if any man does not work, he should not eat. You quoted 1 Timothy 5, 8, which says that it, we are worse than an unbeliever if we do not provide for our family. But there's a balance here. There's a limit. And it's interesting that this very psalm has a break. Some people think it's actually two psalms, but they're, they're really destroying the, the structure. Because the very next thing that the psalm says, after he says, God gives to his beloved sleep, he says, behold, children are an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It's as though the, the psalmist here, Solomon, is reminding us, probably Solomon, we're not sure, that, that we, there's a limit and, and we should not work so hard to build a house that we forget to build a home. And our real inheritance is not... Uh, the, the jobs that we've held and the money that we bring in, but it's the lives that we've invested in in the context of our family. So it's a, it's a big problem, but we need to always evaluate, are we trusting in God? Are we investing in the things that God has told us to invest in? Are we working hard, but with limits in the amount of time that we work? All of these things need to be brought into consideration. Hmm. Amen. And amen. I am really thankful, Dave, um, for your time with us. I, I, I am amazed at uh, how much wisdom God has given you over the years uh, to be able to help us through family matters um, uh, like these. Even the ladies here, I'm sure, appreciate uh, our time together. Hey, but Dave, before you can go, can you give us uh, maybe a thesis for Friday? For Friday, what's going to take place on Friday? Okay. I know there, there is, uh, there's going to be so much to be covered on the ladies' side. Today, ladies, tune in fast. I pray they tune in very quickly again on Friday early so they can be able to hear. Gentlemen, please don't miss Friday. But Dave, what's happening on Friday? Good. Yeah, and Florence just asked. She said, I love today's topic. When is the role of wife and mother coming? Just asking. Well, that's going to be on Friday. And Friday at nine o'clock your time, three o'clock Brazil time. My wife and I together will be sharing what God's word speaks about the role of a wife and mother. And, and if, if, if the role of a husband is controversial today, I would say that the world has done even more in, in trying to distort biblical values for wives and mothers. This does not mean that they cannot work or study or have careers. But what God is going to ask and require of his daughters before the Bema of Christ, the, 
the judgment seat of Christ where rewards will be given is not how many sales you made, not how many degrees you had, but he will be asking what Titus 2 talks about. How did you love your husband? How did you love your children? How did you care for your home? What kind of character did you develop? Those and other questions will be our focus on Friday.